God told him that he had a plan. Build an ark and build it good and make it out of gopher wood. So Noah built an ark. Noah built an ark. Noah built an ark just like God told him to. All the animals came two by two, elephants and kangaroos. Monkeys danced and birdies flew, and that old ark became a zoo. The animals all were friends, all the animals all were friends. Yeah, the animals all were friends, and they all had lots of The rain came down for forty nights, and the rivers rose to such great heights. The ark just floated right along because Noah had built it strong. So the ark splished and splashed. Oh, the ark splished and splashed. The ark splished and splashed. Then the water all dried up. Now everyone stepped onto land, just the way that God had planned. He put a rainbow high above to show us just how much He loves. Oh, God loves His children. Yeah, God loves His children. God loves His children, and that means all of you. And that means all of you. Well, guys, I'm really excited about tonight because, as you can see, we are starting a new series tonight called Bedtime Stories. Um, I'm really excited about this series because so often for us as Christians, we hear these stories when we're kids, and we believe that we know so much about them. And we say, oh, yeah, I know about Noah and the Ark, or oh, yeah, I know about Paul, or oh, yeah, I know about Moses and what he did. Uh, but as we go through this series... We're going to be looking at these bedtime stories, or these classic Bible tales we've learned as kids, and really digging deep into them, because there are some specific things in these stories that we miss sometimes as kids, and it's good for us to look back now as adults and say, well, that's actually really super applicable to my life right now, and that's actually really, really helpful. Um, I believe that God doesn't waste people's stories. That's why testimonies are so powerful. And so we have these examples in the Bible of people who have lived life trying to seek God's glory. And we've seen them fall, and we've seen them rise. And so it's beneficial for us to look at them, look at their lives, and model our lives off of those things that they've got right um, when we're seeking to live a righteous life. Before we get into this message, though, would you guys pray with me? God, thank you so much for tonight. Uh, thank you for each person that you've placed in the room. Thank you for Kent, um, God. We know that he's probably wore out from this morning. Just thank you for his heart to serve. Um, God, thank you for giving us a chance to just come to a place where we can look at um, your word, look at a story, a, a life um, that you uh, showed favor on. Um, and God, allow us tonight to find truths in this text that we can apply to our lives, that we can take away from here. 
um, that it actually means something for us, that it's not just words or a wasted evening. God, thank you for this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So how many of you guys knew what was in that promo video that you just watched? Pretty well. You knew that story pretty well. Just pop up your hand. Yeah, pretty much everyone. Um, and so if you don't know, I'll try to give Noah's story in like three minutes just to summarize it. So Noah was a guy who was extremely, extremely well-favored. Um, he was a guy who was well-respected in his community, and he was said to live a very righteous life. Um, and one day, God looked down on his people. And in Genesis chapter 6, it says that he saw their wickedness and their violence. And it said that God grieved the fact that he had created mankind, and it caused him pain. Um, when I read that, I kind of thought, man, that's crazy. Can you imagine something you created grieving the fact that you created it? I feel like that would be something extremely heartbreaking and painful for God. Um, and so I, I feel like one day the Trinity was hanging out, and uh, the Holy Spirit was like, yeah, I think that we need to just demolish the entire earth. And Jesus was like, well, is there anybody that we can show favor to? And God was like, I think I know a guy. Thank you, Tyler. Guys, come on. That was funny. No, it wasn't. Um, <laughs> And so they see this guy named Noah, and they say, okay, Noah, we're going to create a covenant with you. Now, if you guys don't know what a covenant is, a covenant is basically just a holy promise. Uh, and God says, I'm going to create this new covenant with you and your children and their wives, and you guys will repopulate this earth once I destroy it with the earth. And so uh, as it was said, um, they gathered the animals two by two, and he began building this ark. People thought that he was absolutely insane, and it took him a very long time, um, 120 years to be precise, to build this ark. So it was a long process. Um, and then by the time that Noah had reached the age of 600, 600, the rain began to fall. The rain fell for 40 days and for 40 nights, and then left um, water there for 150 days after that before finally it dried up and they reached land. And God sent his rainbow. The rainbow is a sign of the Noahic covenant, the promise that God made to deliver his people. And it's a symbol of God reconciling himself man. It's truly something amazing. And so when we look at this story from start to finish, I think that there are 10 lessons that we can learn from this. And I know 10 seems like a big number, but I promise these are really, really quick points, really valuable points for all of us. So I want to encourage you tonight. Um, usually in church, they tell you not to get your phones out. I want to encourage you to get your phones out, um, open up your notes, and just put down these scriptures. If nothing else, just jot down these scriptures, because I think that they can be really, really beneficial for you um, as you go about your life. The very first lesson I think we can learn when we look at the story of Noah and the ark is this. Plan ahead. Plan ahead. It wasn't raining when Noah started to build the ark. Uh, it wasn't raining at all. I want to look at Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11, because it speaks to this idea of planning ahead. It says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander to oversee or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lay there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come to you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. I love that verse because it, it warns us of what happens when we just um, pretend like we don't have to prepare for things. And so often I feel like as Christians, we get to places in our life where we reach total depravity, where we reach these places where we're like, God, I'm at a loss. I am drowning right now. And when we send up those prayers, it feels like we're, 
we're just completely floundering because at that point, we haven't set up proper boundaries. We haven't set up proper things to hold us up during those times. And in the story of uh, Noah, if we look at Genesis chapter 6, verses 11 through 13, uh, it gives us an interesting idea of this. It says this, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Now that passage is so hard, um, so harsh, uh, but it's just a foreshadowing of something that's going to happen on Judgment Day. You see, they saw that there was sin, they saw that there was this brokenness, and God said, I'm going to clear it away. And, And God actually in Scripture gave them a period where they could turn back from their sinful ways. The people could turn back, but they continued to just live in sin. You know, maybe some of them said, well, maybe tomorrow I'll buy into that God thing. They continued to make fun of Noah, as he said, God had given him this command to build this ark. But when the rain started coming, those people were the very people who were trying to get on that boat. Those people were the people that ended up being crushed by the waters. See, this is important for us to plan ahead, to to not be lazy in our days, because eventually in our life, things are going to come. Storms are going to happen. Um, The biggest lie told in the church is that lives become easy when you become a Christian. It's actually the exact opposite. Um, And so we have to do everything in our power to plan ahead so that when those things come, we're prepared. The second lesson um, that I think is really, really important for us is this. It's to stay fit. To stay fit. Um, And the reason I say that is because um, it's so important for us to not only be spiritually fit, but physically fit because we have no idea when or where God is going to call us. When we look at this story, Noah was 480 years old when he started to build the ark. 480 years old. Now, I think it's impressive that my grandpa, who's like 68, does construction work still. This guy was 480. Um, He was 500 years old when he produced children. Um, That's a really disgusting mental image. (laughs) But, But even that, in and of itself, is proof that God will call you regardless of your circumstance. Age is not an excuse or an exemption from the call of God. And so when God is in something, when God has ordained you to do something, he places you to do something in life, he'll see you through it regardless of how old you are. And something else that's interesting was, um, while you're not exempt if you're old, you're also not exempt if you're young, because he would have had his kids about 20 years um, into the time that he was building the ark. He would have probably been building it for 20 years when he had his three sons. And so these kids were born into work. You see, sometimes you're born into a calling, and other times you're called into it. Um, But even those kids had the exact same importance and significance as Noah. And, And their youth was not an exemption for them to not be physically fit to carry out the task or the call. So it's important that we stay fit because we never know where or when God is going to call us. The third lesson I think we can learn from this story is don't listen to the critics. Don't listen to the critics. Um, Basically what this point gets across is this, that at the beginning of your day, every single day, you have to come to a resolve where you say, today I'm going to just do what has to be done. Whatever that looks like, whatever that means for my life. Um, I, I started thinking about this. He was building the ark for 120 years. That's 120 years of being called stupid, being called insane, 
of being told that you've been spending too much time around animals and fecal matter because you're losing your mind, you know? It, it's a long time, and, you know, so many times I hear people who struggle in high school and in middle school because of being bullied and feeling inadequate and feeling unqualified and all these things and believing the voices of people who think that they're powerful. Um, and that's four years, five years, 12 years. But he did this for 120 years because he knew not to listen to the critics. He knew not to listen to the critics. I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 through 31 because it talks about this. It says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I love that. God chose the foolish to humble the wise, the weak to, to, to destroy the strong. And we see this imagery of ourselves. You know, it's the very people who feel so unqualified and inadequate wandering through life that God calls into ministry positions, that calls into places where they can speak their story and their testimony, that he gives power to. And they find in that weakness that God is seen. See, so often we put on these fronts in church, and, you know, we're a very vain culture, and so that's why we have makeup and all these Botox surgeries and stuff so we look good on the outside. But we do the same thing with our personality and our character. You know, we try to look like we have it all together and we're kind and we're nice and we're this and that and the other and we have a good job. But on the inside, we're just trash. <laughs> we're just trash. And what he's saying is stop believing the lies of those people that are thinking they're strong, that think that they can name you, that think that they can tell you what's important. And listen to me. Listen to my call because I'm going to use you in your weakness. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be this well-esteemed person. I'm going to use you in your weakness because when you're used, when you start doing things for me, they're going to go, whoa, how did that guy, that, that stupid guy, that guy that doesn't look like he could do anything, how could he do that? And you're going to get to say, oh, because I serve a holy God who gives me strength and wisdom and peace. So don't listen to the critics. The fourth thing I think we can learn from this story is build on high ground. Build on high ground. Um, basically what I mean by this is um, so often I think about uh, Mississippi. I hear all these stories. I have some friends that live out there, and they're constantly posting on their Facebook page about flooding and how their house is being flooded and they have to replace the furniture. I have this one friend who lives there. He's literally replaced his furniture in his basement like five times. And I started scratching my head one day thinking, man, you'd think at some point they would catch, like, some sense of, like, reason and move. <laughs> like, nothing is saying they have to stay there. But then I think about my own life and how many times I've made a home in a floodland. Have you ever thought about that? Everybody has one of these floodplains. 
these places where we put ourselves, where we know we shouldn't be, where we know we're susceptible to sin. Maybe for you, um, you put yourself in a place where you, you struggle with overspending and you just continue to get extra credit cards. You just continue to go to the store when you know you don't have money in the bank. You put yourself in positions to fail and to fall. Maybe for you, you have a struggle with pornography and instead of going out with your friends, you put yourself in a place where you're alone at home with your computer. You're setting yourself up to fail. You're asking for the devil to tempt you. Build your life on higher ground. Avoid those floodplains of your life. Everybody has one, that one area where it's just a soft spot. It's a weak spot for you, and Satan knows it, and he's going to use it. But it's comfortable for us. Those are the places where we feel the most comfortable. We have to learn to build on higher ground. Uh, That's actually a biblical concept, and it's in Matthew chapter 7 that he talks about it, through verses 24 and verses 27. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. See, guys, we have a a choice as Christians to place ourselves on the solid rock that is higher than these sinful pits that we so often fall into, or to just camp in these places, these places of apathy, these places of brokenness. And we have to make a choice. You can make that choice right now today to say, I'm going to build my house on the rock that is higher. The next lesson that I think we can learn from the story of Noah and his ark is this, is that speed isn't always an advantage. Speed isn't always an advantage. You see, the snail, one of the slowest creatures on the face of the planet, got to the ark, and so did the cheetah. They might not have got there at the same time, but the purpose is that they had the exact same destination. See, I don't know about you, but some days I feel like the snail. I feel like I'm trying so hard, and I feel like I am doing everything in my power to be all that I can be for God. And I'm looking around saying, where's the progress? Why do I feel like I'm going nowhere? I'm getting nothing done. And then I start looking around, and I see people flying past me doing amazing things, achieving things for God. You know, the cheetah, getting there faster than me. And I start comparing myself to those people. Comparison is really dangerous. It's what got Satan kicked off the praise team. You know, he was the worship leader in heaven, but he started comparing himself to God, and God cast him down. See, we have to all understand that just because things aren't necessarily moving for us right now, we have to keep pressing on because life is not a sprint. Life is not a sprint. It's a long-distance endurance race. I want to read from Hebrews something that Paul wrote in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. He said this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and it sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, that's our answer, guys. On those days that we feel like the slug, Our answer is to fix our eyes on the cross. Our answer is to remember the suffering that Christ did for us so that we could be with him and to hold fast to that promise. 
Because we aren't guaranteed momentary pleasures. We aren't guaranteed momentary or, or um, immediate gratification. And we live in a world that is immediate. We have to have the gratification right now, right now. Give me, give me, give me right now. 120 characters or less right now. But Christianity and spiritual growth and, and seeing things uh, in our life come to fruition doesn't work like that. It's a process. So speed isn't always an advantage. The sixth truth that I think we can find from Noah and the ark is this, that it's good to travel in pairs. It's good to travel in pairs. See, God made his covenant with Noah and Noah's family, his wife, his sons, and his sons' wives. Two animals, one male, one female. See, God understood the idea of biblical community and not doing life alone. And I know that we talk about this all the time, and you're probably in here going, oh my gosh, if this guy talks about biblical community one more time, I'm going to bang my face against the pew. But it's so important for us. Biblical community is everything to a church. Because when one person falls down, it, you need your brothers and sisters to say, you know what, I'm going to hold you up during this season of your life. Because life is all about seasons. Everybody in this room is either going through or will go through or has just come out of a really difficult, dark season of life. There are people in this room who are in a really joyful season of life. And without that balance, we struggle and will fail as a church. We struggle and will fail as a church. I want to read um, Ecclesiastes, where Solomon wrote in chapter 4, verses 8 through 12, about this idea of community. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth, for whom he was toiling. And he asked, Why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. See, the idea of biblical community is having people alongside you, whether it's a small group, whether it's a best friend, um, whether it's uh, spiritual leaders in the church or, or people in your family that you can look up to. But there's a third person in this equation, that three-chord strand that's not easily broken, and that is God. And so biblical community is nothing if it's not founded and centered around Christ. It's nothing more than a friendship if you don't have God in the middle of it. And we know from life that when we do things the way culture does, the way culture says friendship should be, that it typically doesn't work out. See, culture says friendship should be all about this deep. Biblical community says that you should be transparent and real and genuine and authentic. And it's what we talk about at Thrive. It's why our motto is be real, be loved, be long. Because that creates a place where when somebody's struggling, you don't have to doubt it. Because you see it, you know that person deeply and intimately. And I don't know about you, but I know for me in my life, if I didn't have people who could see when I was struggling, I wouldn't be sitting up here right now. Because I would be somewhere doing something really stupid probably. But I have people in my life who can call me on my crap. And that's what biblical community is all about. So travel in pairs. The seventh lesson I think we can find from this story is this. Never forget we're all in the same boat. Never forget we're all in the same boat. You see, this lesson can be applied to every single relationship you have, whether that's in your marriage, whether that's in your church, whether that's in your family. Um, I think if the church could grasp a hold of this concept we might start rowing in the same direction and actually start making a difference for the kingdom. 
But so often we're rowing in different directions and we know when that happens, what happens to your boat? It just spins in a circle. See, the Israelites wandered for years because of this. If you look at your marriage and you put this uh, filter on of we're all on the same playing field, we're all in the same boat, it suddenly becomes, oh, you're just another sinner like me. I can forgive that. There's grace for that. I can be patient there. In your relationships at work and life, when you're evangelizing to people, it suddenly isn't, man, he looks different than me. He kind of smells funny. I don't want to talk to him. It's, he's just another sinner, just like me. Sure, he looks different. Sure, his sin is different than mine, but I'm no better than him. I just know Jesus. Hey, you want to know Jesus? See, that's what it's all about. Never forget that we are all in the exact same boat. The eighth lesson I think we can find from Noah and the Ark is this. Amateurs built the Ark. Professionals built the Titanic. Amateurs built the ark. Professionals built the Titanic. Sometimes I think for us, God gives us something in our life. And it seems so monumental. It seems so big. And I I imagine what Noah might have felt like when God said, I want you to build this ginormous ark and fill it with animals because I'm going to flood the entire earth. I mean, that's a huge, huge ask for a guy that really isn't qualified to do that job. But yet, God enabled him. God gave him the wisdom, the talent, the strength, the instructions to carry out that plan. And when we look at the the Titanic, we see this ship that was said that God himself couldn't sink. We see this ship that was a technical marvel of the Edwardian period that took 13 years to build. Because they had some of the best engineers working on it. It was sink-proof, supposedly. And then we look at the ark that took 120 years to build, and it was made out of wood by a man who wasn't qualified, didn't know what he was doing. See, the purpose of this lesson is that it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 25 years or 50 years or one day or never in your life. If you feel like God is calling you, he's going to equip you. One of my favorite quotes is, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And I know for me personally in my life, he will never lead you into a situation without giving you tools to handle it. So often I think we miss opportunity. We miss blessing because we're so scared to just step out and try. We're so scared that we're going to say something stupid or or look like a fool. I want to share something with you, and I hope they don't get mad at me. But this week, um, this last week, I was in Puerto Rico. And uh, we did this thing called evangelism walks through the cities. And we were in the city called Pantilla. And it's basically like over the Rhine is for Cincinnati, but a little bit worse economically. And I watched as kids who were 16, 15, 14, people that go to this church, I watched them try to speak Spanish, and it was horrible. (laughs) I mean, it was awful, so bad. But they shared their hearts. And I watched person after person after person open up. Their eyes light up because they felt the love of God even in those moments. We witnessed that week to 96 people. And out of those 96 people, we prayed for probably 50. One, I know for a fact, is getting plugged into the local church. And so my point in that is, if you don't try, you'll never know what God can do. You'll never know how much he can actually use you. And I guarantee after the first time you step out of your comfort zone, I guarantee that first time that you realize that God can equip an amateur to build an ark. God can equip you somebody who doesn't really know that much about the Bible or or somebody who's not really been doing it or not a good speaker. 
first time you realize God can use you, it's going to spark a fire in your heart. And you're going to be able to make a huge, huge difference for the church and for the kingdom. And so my challenge for you is that if that is you in the room tonight, you would take this next week and you would step out one time. Because it's only going to take once. One time of it clicking for you. For it to make a difference in your life. The ninth lesson that I think that we can learn from this story is this. Woodpeckers inside the ship are more dangerous than the storms outside the ship. Woodpeckers inside the ship are more dangerous than storms outside the ship. Basically what that point means is this, guys. It's every morning when you wake up, looking at yourself in the mirror and examining your heart. Examining your life and being honest with yourself and saying, okay, where do I need God to patch me up? Where do I have holes in my life because I'm failing and floundering in those areas? Where, where in my life do I need to just lean into God's goodness? And, and this takes real hard honesty, which is something we're not really good at sometimes. Um, because we have to admit our weaknesses. And we have to be really brutal about it sometimes. And that's why going back to um, the idea of having biblical community is important. Because it's accountability. It's having a person to say, man, you're leaking a little bit over there. Man, you better watch out. And that's the epitome of speaking the truth in love because it's not about being demeaning. It's not about being judged. You know, I hear that all the time. Oh, they're just judging me. No, they're speaking the truth in love because they don't want to see your ship sink. And, and sometimes I think it's easy for us to justify small sin, justify those small holes in our ship, you know? You, you stumble, you know, one time. I'm just going to look at this one time, or I only lied to this person once, or I only talked to that woman. I didn't actually do anything physical with her, so I wasn't really cheating. And suddenly these holes start filling up your life, and you end up in a place where you are drowning in a sea of sin. But that doesn't happen if every morning you're intentional about saying, all right, God, patch me up. Patch me up. Because I want to be used for you. I want to be an effective vessel. I don't want to be a ship that's sitting at the bottom of the ocean. But I want to be used. The last point that... Um, actually, no, before I go there, I want, to, I want to share something. This is kind of interesting. And, and when we read in Genesis um, chapter 6, verse 14, we see this word. In that passage, in some translations, it talks about um, putting pitch on the ark. Okay? And basically what pitch is, is just stuff to keep the ship or the ark afloat. And so God commanded Noah to put it inside the ship, inside the ark, and outside the ark. But the translation for pitch in the text has two completely different meanings. And in the original text, it has both words. And the first word is kafar, kafar. And the word kafar means to, to cover completely, to cover completely. So that also means to atone, to purge, to reconcile. The second definition of this word, the exact same word, pitch, is kofir. And kofir means as ransom. As ransom. And so what this does is it's a literal thing where God is telling Noah, okay, this is going to help you keep the ark afloat, to put the pitch on the inside and the outside. But it's also a beautiful imagery of what Christ does for us. See, when you have... Kephar, the inside, you have Christ's atonement. It's what makes you pure. It's what makes you qualified. It's what makes you able to have a relationship with God. Christ's atonement. And then when you have the pitch on the outside, the kofir, 
as ransom, you have Christ's redemption. That's a beautiful image of what Christ does for us. The last point in lesson that I think is probably one of the most important and relevant points for us as a church is this. Is that no matter how bleak it might look for you right now in life, is God, if God is with you, there's always a rainbow on the other side. No matter how bleak, how broken, how painful your life looks right now, if God is walking with you, there is always a rainbow on the other side. Uh, as the band comes up, I want to wrap up by thinking, think about this. Noah was on the ark for 40 days and for 40 nights. As the wind blew, the storms fell. He watched as people were killed. His entire world destroyed. And then for 150 days, he sat in a ship as the water dripped off, wondering if he was ever going to see land. Now, I don't know about Noah, but for me, I feel like if I was in that situation, I might start worrying. God, are you going to show up? God, are you still there? Have you left me here? Some of us are in those places right now in our life where we've been in seasons of tribulation. We feel like we just can't catch a break. And we feel like no matter what, we're just lost. Lost at sea without God looking at us or or showing us any favor or being there for us. We've just thrown our hands up and said, man, can I ever catch a break? We see in this story that God always comes through. God always makes good on his promises. And sometimes it's not in this life that we see this reconciliation or this redemption. But if you're a Christian in the room tonight, we have a promise. And that promise says that someday there will be no more tears. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. Someday every broken piece of our life will be reconciled back to God and will be made good. We'll be in the presence of righteousness and holiness. Free from all of our baggage, our broken past, our sinful lifestyles. That's something that we can hold on to something that we can hold on to. And I know it's not easy. It's really difficult actually sometimes, but scripture tells us that on judgment day, God's going to look on his child and say, well done, my good and faithful servant, well done. It's interesting that it says good and faithful because the word faithful implies that God's going to test you. Maybe right now you're in a season where God is testing your faith. Instead of giving up, just say, all right, God, I'm up for the challenge. I don't know why you're doing this, but I'm going to lean into it and I'm going to embrace it. Because I want to be like that kid in the front of the classroom who at the end of the day at school, when you guys are going on from the fifth grade to the sixth grade, the teacher looks at it and says, you know, this was an awesome class, but I am so proud of you. On Judgment Day, I want God to look at me and say, My son, I am so proud of you because you were faithful. My servant. There's been a lot of stuff in the media lately about rainbows. You've seen the hashtag love wins. When you see that on your timeline, would you rejoice? Because the rainbow is a symbol of God's love and his holy covenant. Love does win. 
See, we know the end. There was victory when Christ died on the cross for our sins. Would you pray with me? Dear God, thank you so much for tonight. God, thank you for your love that is so big. And Lord, as we look at these lessons that we can pull from the story of Noah, may they be tangible, may they be practical, may they be things that we can start to implement in our life. God, in those seasons of life that it's hard to lean in, may we just hold fast to the truth that you are a good God who always comes through. God, in those places where we're, we're broken, where the woodpecker has got holes in our heart and our soul and our spirit, would you just patch those up tonight in this room? Would you make us vessels that are able to be used by you? God, would you remind us that, no, we're not qualified. <laughs> no, we're not good. No, we're not worthy. No, we're not able or capable. But that's okay because you are. And that's all that matters. It's not about looking good or being impressive or making our name famous, but it's about showing who you are. God, may we do that this week and in our lives. God, if we are right now camped out in a position of flooding, in this floodplain of sin, a place where we know we, we shouldn't be, if we're surrounding ourselves with toxic friends who are pulling us down and causing us to stumble, that we have the strength to step away from them and cling to a rock that is higher. If we're struggling right now with addiction, and we step out of that addiction and claim the promise that you break every chain and fix our eyes on you, cling to the rock that is higher. God, whatever it is, God, would you just help us tonight and strengthen us tonight to be like Noah, obeying every single commandment that you've given us. Because if our life is like an ark, I don't want it to sink. I don't want my life to sink. You've given us the schematics, the plans, the ways that we need to love people and serve people and honor people. The way that we need to make others' lives more valuable than our own. And the way that we need to keep you first. God, may we abide by those schematics perfectly so that our ark might sail. God, thank you for these people. And if there's a person tonight in this room who doesn't know who you are, God, would you just make them feel your love right now? And if that is you in the room tonight, know that God loves you so much and he wants you. And scripture says that God is jealous for you. God loves you right where you're at. No matter how messy your life is, how broken your life is, where you've been, he doesn't care. Scripture says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God, thank you for everything that you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray.